like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, up there in New York City. John Taylor of Fangraphs.com. I feel like the, that's getting stronger every time I do it. You're it's getting better. A, you're a pro, man. Uh, you are a pro at this. Uh, I would expect nothing less from one of the best baseball writers, analysts, oh, thinkers you. out there on the internet. Um, John, I'm a little overwhelmed. I was keeping up this afternoon with like what the Rays were doing, what some of these other the daughters the are doing. Are all, the Rays are always doing something. To a certain point, it's like <laughs> whatever. Like they made nineteen moves today. Of, yeah, because yeah, today being the the forty man roster. Uh, keep deadline ahead of the rule f- uh, for the, the rule five draft coming in in December and also mm. just generally and yeah they've made three different moves so far one of them they traded away one of their better prospects simply to reduce some roster crunch in another place they let go of another prospect that they was basically the biggest piece they got back for Nathaniel Lowe uh, when they dealt him to the Rangers who's also become a very good first baseman over there the Ray like, Joy also left, by the way, under the radar to yes, the Rays also, he wanted to retire a Ray. I don't really understand that one at all. I, I mean, it, it, it is all part perpetually of the Rays endless 40 man roster churn <laughs> because they simply mm-hmm. have too many prospects and too many players in their system to keep everyone. Yeah. So they have to do stuff like, you know, and, and it's also a very Rays thing to get what are almost certainly going to be the most productive years of G-Man Choi's major league career squeeze every single last drop out of them and then what the second like the literal second he becomes a roster impediment you just dump him onto pittsburgh mm. for essentially nothing like it's but it's he's incredibly so, I just don't know. he's someone i would keep i just i don't know why you wouldn't keep him i mean I, the, and the argument against it I, one i love that we're starting this podcast by talking <laughs> about g-man Choi, but he's second it's just, as a left-handed first baseman he has value, but he also has a really limiting role, which doesn't really work for a Rays roster that loves to not just platoon, and they had to platoon Choi because he can't hit lefties at all, but also that likes having defensive versatility. You know, you don't just you don't want a guy who just plays first base. You want a guy who can do like Yandy Diaz, who can play first and third. You want a guy like uh, Isaac Paredes, who is probably going to play a lot of first base next year, despite the fact that he's really a second baseman, but he's probably mm-hmm. also going to play elsewhere in the infield, you know. Or a guy like Jonathan Aranda, or you know, that that is just the Rays' way. Is they just want as much roster flexibility, both in terms of positional value and also financial value, as possible. And that's the other thing. Like, obviously, the longer Choi's career goes, the more expensive he gets. 
you know, so again, he reached the point where the Rays were like, you're, and, and I, this, I assume this is a thing the Rays do is it is down to like the fifth decimal point of like, you're worth exactly this much to us. The second you become worth more than that is the second you're gone. And, and because we can find someone to replace 80% of your production for 20% of the price, you know, that, that is just how this team operates in perpetuity. And it's depressing to say the least, like being a Rays fan just must get kind of exhausting to that, to that end. But it works as well, so I don't know. You know, like it's it's almost like okay, if I I've I just kind of closed myself off to the Rays being that sad because it's like you know what, that's just that is how they're going to operate, and until and unless they get an ownership group that wants to invest actual real money into the franchise uh, beyond you know whatever money is invested into player development and scouting and all that, which obviously has a good return, but you know into actually signing major league players who are you know not just platoon guys that's just how it's going to be forever john daniels walking into that uh situation though he is hired as a this is the best role possible for these guys who were once great gms it's like the consultant type role but you're mm-hmm. getting paid uh i'm sure it's a great cra- gig it's a sure. great gig not the stress you kind of are in the shadows and folks don't really know how much sway you have in the organization yeah, and, and you, can, you can work on stuff that only you care about or that is yeah. specifically to your strengths i remember when the red sox hired allard baird the former royals general manager years mm. ago when dombrowski was in charge and there were a lot of people being like why would you hire allard baird he was a disaster with the royals he didn't know anything about what he was doing turns out baird actually was a pretty good like scout slash talent evaluator when it came to existing major league players his problem for the most part seemed to be he just didn't really know how to evaluate the amateur side of things but as a consultant guy all he had to do was whatever he wanted to do basically you know and then that's like you know that that is i think what works for a lot of these guys who want to still be working in baseball or a guy like daniels who i mean i i don't know it, it does seem like at a certain point and i think we you know we, you heard about a bit this a bit with david stearns that the job of president of baseball operations that you know the new job title that um, basically means you're the the head of the front office is exhausting it is a mm-hmm. ton a ton of work that does seem to be a large part of why Stearns has stepped has stepped um stepped out of the role this season and it's just kind of going to be a bit of an, an advisor role for Milwaukee you know similar I think with Daniels who've been running Texas for 15 years at this point it must be really nice to have to worry only about a handful of things as opposed to literally every single decision that gets made in the in the front office so yeah, I mean, and also it, it keeps these guys in the picture long enough to see, hey, well, maybe there's another job that comes down the pike. Alex Anthopoulos being the most obvious one here, who after he left Toronto, went and spent a year or two with the Dodgers as one in one of those advisor roles, then came back and took over Atlanta and has obviously been ter- uh, terrific in that job. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the kind of thing Daniels is doing. I wouldn't be surprised if any of these guys who move out of that pobo role and into something closer to an advisor role or leave one team you know, for another whatever i mean i think that's almost certainly where what james click is going to end up having to do this this season you know all the gm jobs are filled for right now so i imagine he will probably end up just being in an advisor role for a team for a year or so and the next off season if there is a gm role open he'll probably uh look to take that one but or he joins mlb network for a year or he joins mlb network for a year I mean, that that's kind of the thing there's essentially an an employment program for out of work gms which is either you go be an advisor somewhere or you can be like dan o'dowd and be on tv you know 10 hours a week being like i like this i don't like that and you mm-hmm. know nobody really questions you no we'll get into click and what happened there uh which was pretty weird uh in a bit um let's talk about the braves uh who are not in on jacob de 
And you texted this. I don't know if you texted me this with the smile on your face a couple days ago, John. Um, if they don't re-sign Dansby Swanson, they're addressing internal options, whether that's Vaughn Grissom, whether that's... Um, who was the other one that uh, you mentioned that they uh, thought about? Orlando Arcia. Orlando Arcia, yeah. Not going to happen. Um, and that's like one of those fan revolt type deals if Orlando Arcia is the... Uh, Starting shortstop on opening day next year, and Dancy Swanson is not an Atlanta Brave. That will not particularly go over well. Um, it's not the same as Josh Donaldson moving on or Freddie, even Freddie Freeman, because you also had uh, an option and you immediately pivoted and trade for Matt Olson and all that good stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I think the Degrom stuff was always a pipe dream, but the way this front office and this ownership group works, I think it's interesting that the Rangers uh, seem to be the strongest suitors um for um DeGrom and that kind of signals what we were wondering about the Rangers with the hiring of Bruce Bochy is that like they're going to be serious about Verlander and uh DeGrom and I think a they're going to be serious names. about pretty much every top free agent I think yeah. they'll probably have conversations with all of them because you know they they believe I think very strongly it's like yeah we need to make a push like we we want to contend now 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 and the Braves uh are still contending and they They've locked up so many guys long-term. I mean, Spencer Strider is now locked in. Michael Harris is now locked in. Uh, Michael Harris just won NL Rookie of the Year over Spencer Strider, which I thought was interesting. Um, but I don't know. I, I My gut tells me Dancy Swanson still finds his way back to Atlanta. Um, I also think that's just something you say right now, or that's the rumor is like, we're, we're good with our internal options yeah, no, as a marketing point or a uh, posterity the, point. When we talked about the Yankees last week and they were saying, oh, we're good with Josh Donaldson being yeah. the opening day third baseman. It's like, well, yeah, because you have literally no other options at the moment. But I, I, I see the Atlanta stuff with Swanson. I mean, look, I, I didn't think it really made sense for them to go after any of Correa, Turner, or Bogart. I mean, if you're, if you're going to go after one of those guys, just re-sign Swanson. There's fundamentally no difference between those or there are there are differences between those four guys as we've talked about but i don't think there are differences enough where you'd be like oh i definitely want this guy over that guy you know plus swanson is a guy who local fans like him teammates clearly like him uh fits in well with that clubhouse with that atmosphere has been there for for basically his entire career like there's there's no real reason to shake the boat to that regard just because you might get a, a, a half win improvement over in one season from going from Swanson to Correa or something. Or maybe there's a little bit better down the line. There's also the fact that it's really hard to imagine that Correa and Turner at least would come any cheaper than Swanson. And I imagine Bogarts would probably be close to the same price anyway. And Bogarts obviously being the weakest defender of that group doesn't really do anything for the Braves long term. And I think that makes sense, too, because everything Atlanta does seems to be so focused on the long term about the mm -hmm. path going forward, which is also why a DeGrom deal wouldn't have really made sense to me, because DeGrom is going to want to take a lot of money, a lot of... I think DeGrom is going to end up signing a contract that looks closer to Max Scherzer's than it would to, say, Garrett Coles. Because mm. uh, DeGrom is already 33 years old. You know, he he is not young. He, yeah. he debuted late. Uh, he's already, he's missed a lot. He's 34. Sorry. He'll be 35 next season. That's not a guy who's going to sign a six year deal. That's a guy who's looking to get maybe four one fifty or something or, or whatever it happens to be. That's not really how Atlanta seems to do things. And in retrospect, I think it makes the Freeman stuff that much more kind of understandable that they would, instead of being like, well, yeah, we'll just give Freddie Freeman $25 million a year or whatever it is for, for four and five years. They'll be like, well, we'll just give that to Matt Olson instead because he's three or four years younger. Like, again, mm -hmm. it is all just about laying out the future. So I do believe that they would probably be willing to give Grissom a look, if only because he's a highly touted prospect and why not? You know, 
uh, and their player development system is so good that I think it's, you know, I, I, we really haven't seen any misses yet from that, from that group. Um, but at the same time, like as with Freeman and Olsen, I mean, again, last year we were talking about, well, what exactly are the Braves going to do if they don't sign Freddie Freeman? There isn't a first baseman on this roster and there are going to be other teams interested in Matt Olsen too. There, there are going to be shortstops out there. I met, I imagine available in trade and you never know what's going to happen over the course of an off season. I think more than anything with this, just kind of what this kind of cements is exactly pretty much what the report said that if they, it's Dansby Swanson or Bust in Atlanta, at least yeah. when it comes to free agency. And I think it's also I think it's also a sign that when it comes to the Braves offseason, I don't think we should expect much in the way of big free agent moves because and, and quite frankly, I don't really think this team needs a huge free agent move. Would DeGrom or Verlander be a great addition? Sure. Is that a is that a signing that the team needs to make? I think they'd be okay without I think the Braves. They do would be need fine one more veteran either. starter. I don't know. They who could that use is. another starter for yeah. sure, but you know, and maybe some bullpen help if they really want, and maybe some bench. But like, this is a team that, by having locked in that core of young guys, it has mm-hmm. has pretty much set itself up at every position going forward, with the exception of the outfield is a little bit is is a little shaky, particularly in left field. I think we are still trying to figure out what you do with uh, Marcelo Zuna and what you want to do if you want to replace him, and the other option, of course, being shortstop, and what you do about you know if Swanson walks, do you really go with Grissom or do you try to find some equally cost-saving like measure that uh, makes up for it. But yeah, I, I think more than anything, it pretty much ex- it pretty much states that Atlanta is not going to be a big player in free agency one way or the other. And I, I wouldn't have expected that anyway, but I think this kind of just confirms it. I don't think you can go into next year with like the Rosario, Zuna, and then the Hilliard uh, minor move and left and then just run it back I mean, with I, Grissom I, I, and Arcia. Like, I, just... I think you can if you feel good about You get a full healthy season of Ronald Acuna. You get a full season of Michael Harris. You get a full, ideally, and this is the Wait, biggest thing. can I also I think... just say that I don't think we're ever going to get a full 100% year of Ronald Acuna? Probably not. You're getting a full 100% year of anybody is a really hard Yeah, ask, I, I think but... the Acuna being a 162-game guy, ship has sailed. Michael Harris no, strikes me as someone I, who's going to be that. I don't I think, think it's going to be I think the really, the really, really big question for Atlanta is can it finally get a full, healthy season out of Albies? Yes. That, I think a full, healthy season out of Albies would go so far toward being able to be comfortable with a Vaughn Grissom shortstop situation. Because otherwise, not only, you know, do you need Grissom and Arcia to, you know, plug the holes at second base, but Albies' offense also elevates the floor such that you can live with a shortstop who maybe only has like a 90 OPS plus or something, provided that they're a good defender. You know, I mean, the Braves lived with Swanson as that for a few years there. And, for the most part, it didn't really hurt them. Although you can argue that the moment Swanson really started to take that next step is when the Braves also, but I, but I, but that was also a combination of Swanson taking that next step, Austin Riley taking that next step, uh, Acuna, you know, establishing himself as what he is, you know, Freddie Freeman, and then the, the seamless transition to Matt Olson, you know. But I, I I think that there's a reasonable chance that the Braves actually do this because I think in their maybe in their forecasting and their projection they're thinking, hey, healthy Acuna. Healthy Albies, full year of Harris, uh, you know, whatever else need, you know, whatever else health was missing or performance was missing that they think reasonably can be expected to return. You know, the floor gets high enough that you can live with the sh- with a shortstop being kind of a hole in, in the otherwise very strong lineup they have. Well, I think if this happens, I think this means similarly with left field. Right. And I also think if this is what happens, that means they're all in on Brandon. Uh... Braden Shoemaker. Braden Shoemaker, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what that would signal. But I just am at the point, I think we've talked about this, where at some point you're going to miss on one of these guys. Like it, the run it, that the Braves are on right to. now. 
You have to. And I think it's it's also worth noting that throughout this entire run, they have missed very badly on starting pitching with the exception yep. of, of Max Reed and, and now Kyle Wright. Like, there is not much that has gone right for them in that department. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that Atlanta's done this despite the fact that their their player development has not really hit very hard on pitching and that they've just gotten, you know, win after win after win when it comes to the position player side of things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and like you said, you know, there's there's Braden Shoemake down there and then further on down the line, they've got guys like Geraldo Quintero, A.J. Smith, or not A.J. Smith, Shaver, sorry. Uh, like you said, Shoemake, you know, there are some guys within that system who I think, or, or Ambiortis Tavares, who is very, very young, a 2021 uh, January 2 signing out of the Dominican, currently a third baseman. Th- there is a potential there, I think, that they might be able to dig someone up. So I can also imagine that they're thinking, well, we don't necessarily, and Grissom, of course, obviously in, in that group as well. Maybe the thought there is, let's see what these guys can produce over the course of 2023. We don't necessarily want to lock ourselves long term into anything we don't like. Yeah, that's fair. And also, I sent you an image in our chat here. Uh, uh, the two of them, Dansby and uh, Braden. Please don't tell me they look alike, too. They like, look on, alike, I, I John. They I look alike this. in this picture. How? Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, no, I got a 404 not found. That's oh, no. Well, let me, I'm going to look up Braden Shoemaker. Cause I actually, yeah, I, look up Braden Shoemaker. Yeah. I've written about him before, but I, I could not tell you what he looks like. Yeah, there's a cloning machine or something. <laughs> It's just this is just Ian Anderson and, and Dansby Swanson again. It's do you see this? Like it's amazingly just, I, though, he's not from Georgia. That's the crazy. No, he's part. a Texas kid. He, he went to AM, right? He's an AM guy. Sure. Um no, he looks like Walker from uh Yellowstone. Um but maybe that is the case. But I just I'm not comfortable going down this line of just like we're gonna hit again, but they have not missed on any of these positional guys. Like none of yeah. them outside of Christian Pache. But they also got off Christian Pache quickly, right? Like they got off, um, they had to give up uh, Shea Langliers, and I think they were pretty high on him. But I think that was just one of those. If you want to get somebody like Matt Olson, you're going to have to, yeah, and it's also, to give a little bit. It's survivable too if you feel like, well, I know that William Contreras has not been the guy behind the plate for them, but you yeah. know, it is survivable if you believe that he can be, or if you just figure, you know, a catcher is one of those things we'll figure out if we need to figure out, which yeah. I also understand given the bust rate on catching prospects, you know, those aren't really guys. Yeah, most think, teams just don't have a good catcher right no, now. No, most like, most teams simply do not. And it's understandable mm-hmm. to me, I think that, I mean, hell, for, for all we know, maybe the Braves do want to make one really big free agent signing, and that signing would be Wilson Contreras. You know, that could be a guy, but I, I don't think it would make any sense for them. Contreras is not a very good defensive catcher. He'd have to yeah. be a guy that they move increasingly to a DH or corner outfield spot, which is what his little brother is already doing. So, yeah, one of them would like, have to be a full time. They'd have to be really comfortable at being a left field. Yeah. So I, I, I just think don't see that. It's understandable to me then that I think Atlanta could decide, you know what? We've also been so good at developing these guys that we have the we have the, the confidence that we can move a guy like Langoliers or we can move a guy like Pache, although Pache didn't quite fit that same uh, mold of, you know, because we'll just figure out, we'll, we'll find someone else later. We can develop mm-hmm. this. You know, this is not a problem, you know. Hmm. And Colby Allard, also back, old friend. Snip, snap, snip, snap. And it's, it's we're... constant. It's constant in, in Atlanta. Um, I, I did enjoy that they basically rented Jake Odorizzi <laughs> for like seven weeks, and they were like, you know what? We, you, we're, we're good here. We're fine. Um, do you think it should have been Spencer Schreider or do you think Harris deserved rookie of the year over him? I, I mean, I, you know, I never really looked all terribly that closely into rookie of the year voting is something I, I, it's, I think probably the award aside from manager of the year, which I don't even really of the major trifecta, Cy Young, MVP, rookie of the year, rookie of the year is probably the one I care about the least. Like hmm. the great, like a good chunk of those guys never like 
for for every Ichiro, there's always a Todd Hollinsworth. You know, for every for every Michael Harris, there's an Angel Baroa. Like, you know, that's just how Rookie of the Year voting operates. And I think you can make a really good case for either. By Fangraphs War, they were basically neck and neck. You know, in terms of overall value. I can understand, I think, and, and I haven't, I didn't go around reading any of the, the explanations or justifications by any of the voters. I can understand at least the idea that Harris as a full-time position player theoretically has more of an impact. He is just there day to day, whereas Strider is making his impact every fifth day. I, I think either, I, I would have, if I had a vote, I I don't know, I probably would have just closed my eyes and just picked one of the two. Um, our Dan, Simba, Dan Simborski oof, at Fangraphs. Uh, he had an NL Rookie of the Year vote. He voted for Strider, number one, then Harris, number two, and uh, whoever finished third. I can't even remember who finished. was the third finalist in this. I'm um, not sure either. He had Strider number one anyway. Um, his, and his I agree. Argument, well, his I argument agree. was that he thought Strider, because of the role change he made midseason, which is to say yes. he went from being a reliever to being a full-time starter, was a much more difficult, or not more difficult, but was a degree of difficulty above what Harris did in just going from a full-time center fielder in the minors to a full-time center fielder. in but the he majors. did skip triple a. <laughs> he did skip triple a. And I also imagine that voters probably point to something like that too. It's like this guy skipped triple a and was an immediate impact from the second he stepped foot on that, on that field. Like that really does count for something. I think the level of impact is something in rookie of the year voting mm. that always gets outside. I remember when Gary Sanchez was up for the rookie of the year voting and everyone was making the argument that I, I forget who actually won rookie of the year there, but it was someone who was quite deserving but the argument for Sanchez was, well, he hit 25 homers in like 60 games or whatever it was. Like, how can you do more as a rookie than that? And it's like, mm -hmm. well, you do it for 80 games or 90 games or 100 games. But I mean, either way, I don't think there was a wrong choice between the two of them for, for what it's worth. Yeah. And I also think just the surprise, I think, with Strider um, was bigger. And I also just think he settled into a dominant ace role where like Ian Anderson was plummeting and falling off the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. um, obviously Soroka, not a factor. Um, Kyle Wright had the great year from start to finish, but Max Freed just being awesome. But you kind of need, you needed that third guy to feel good about things of where the Braves were going, especially in the postseason. And you saw not having a right uh, strider and what that meant in the Philly series, like him yeah. not being himself flipped that series. And, you know, <sighs> he's now I think an ace and it was just funny because you were throughout the year I just kept waiting for like the bottom to fall out it's like he's not gonna have 10 k's again he's not gonna just keep mowing down these guys he's not gonna just keep doing this and he just kept doing it and I I think it was just jarring to see what Spencer Strider was doing but like you said I think pitchers are always gonna have trouble winning these kind of awards just because they're just not there every day Michael Harris started the ninth spot and moved his way up as the season went on like he became he started out at the bottom and like rightfully so to kind of protect him and not put too much on him and then it was just like we have to keep adding to his plate it's like thanksgiving you just like all right let's just get him for like a toddler you're just like all right man, let's see just get some mac and cheese and uh the little good stuff um the uh, hawaiian rolls that sort of thing and then they they just keep going back up and they're like, do you want uh, what is that sweet potatoes? Are you a sweet potato person? Yeah, okay. where you just keep piling stuff onto the yeah. plate. And you're, <laughs> you're like, like All right, right. do you like this? Is this yeah. can you eat this? And then they yeah. devour it. And you're like, okay, well, then, is this yeah, an NL Rookie of the Year? Okay, I guess if that's what yeah, you want. I, All right, I do think you're right that when in any kind of competition, and the MVP is the same way, I think too, where the 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 competition is between full time position player and starter. You have to be a, a level as a starter that's like you know. Koufax, Kershaw, Pedro, mm -hmm. like 
Otani. Like it really has to be something special in order to beat out the guy who's been who does it in the in the eyes of the writers every single day. But like I said, I don't think there was a wrong choice there in terms of either of them. I think either winning the rookie of the year would have been would have been perfectly uh would have been would have been fine. Yeah, for sure. But the main thing, Brave win. And that's what we want. That is what we want. Uh, James Click was offered a one-year extension uh, with the Houston Astros, and he declined. So James Click is no longer the general manager of the Houston Astros. The assistant GM is also out. Um, so there was some confusion as to who was actually uh, orchestrating Craig these signings. Issue, I think now Reggie Jackson, maybe Jim Crane himself. It's really unclear at the moment. Well, you mentioned Jim Crane, and this was something I was reading the reporting on this. It's just that like this is very clear that Jim Crane is in on baseball stuff. He wants to be yes. he's like Jerry, there's some strong Jerry Jones vibes to Jim Crane. Yes, I think that he has convinced himself that the success of the people he hired means that he is, by extension, a successful genius. Yes. And that he should have, which I can't even begin to explain the various ways in which that's wrong. Jim Crane's (laughs) business, the reason Jim Crane is rich enough to be the owner of the Astros and to spend all this money is he he came from the background of air freight logistics. Mm -hmm. That is not baseball adjacent that is not something that therefore gives you the right to be like you know what actually we should make a trade for this guy instead of that guy mm-hmm. and it really does seem like part of crane's problem i guess you can call it is that he rather than wanting to listen to the people in the baseball operations group like click or like scott powers the assistant gm you mentioned or like pete putilla who would have been i guess click successor but is now in san francisco i want to say mm-hmm. uh, or wherever i can't actually remember where putilla went is that Crane would rather listen to old guys slash former baseball players like Greg Biggio or Reggie Jackson, or uh, there was Jeff Passan's report immediately after the World Series that Houston had a trade lined up at the deadline that would have sent Jose Urquidy to the Cubs for Wilson Contreras to shore up really the one weak spot offensively on the Astros' entire roster. Uh, Click was very much for it, but Crane shot it down because Dusty Dusty Baker said, "I don't want to lose a guy like Urquidy. You know, all of you know he's very useful to me, et cetera, et cetera." Which is not to say that Dusty is wrong or that you know it would have been a you know that it was a mistake or whatever. Just that it's very clear who Crane is listening to, and that's the old baseball guys. And that seems to have convinced him that he also understands baseball, despite the fact that really, when you think about what Jim Crane has brought to Houston, it is a culture of toxic mismanagement that allowed someone like Jeff Luno basically to do whatever he wanted because the end result was winning. And that's really all that Jim Crane, I think, cares about winning and presumably winning in a semi-cost efficient fashion. So I don't, I don't Dave know. Dave Stewart, if, come on down. Here's, here's the other thing. If you're, if you're the, if you're Jim Crane, which is, or not if you're Jim Crane, but I guess more if you're an Astros fan, who is going to want to run this front office right now? The dude who just won the World Series, who spent the last three years mopping up one of the worst messes that any team has created in the last 50 years of baseball in terms of scandals. Like, to, to give him a one-year offer is basically equivalent to having someone walk into your house and you can be like, wow, I'm so glad you're here. Let me let me offer you a drink. It's motor oil with a rubber duck floating in it. Like, it, it's, it's a fundamentally the same thing. It is an insult to offer that man a one-year job. Um, so it's no surprise to me that Click walked. What is going to be I, it very interesting to me is who is Houston going to hire to replace him, if anyone? You know, the internal org chart has been laid out, has been laid pretty low. And so unless it's something like, I don't know, does does Crane want to see about bringing in Luno Lieutenant uh, Sig Megdahl back from the Orioles? Is this a scenario where, hey, maybe Luno comes back? 
now that his suspension is up and now that there's the no way you could do it there's look, no man. way but this is the thing with owners like jim crane they they answer to only one person ever yeah themselves nothing else matters if they can justify it if they can figure out the reasoning for it if they think it's the right move they'll just do it and they don't really care what anyone i mean look what we percent live, would you put on jeff luna being we, the next we live the in an age where a man essentially bought twitter as a prank and is now running it into the ground because he feels that he alone is the one who understands how the website works, despite the fact that he's been being told daily by hundreds, if not thousands, if not literally at times, millions of people, you do not know what you're doing. His Twitter ego usage has gone up for people to tell him this very thing. His ego is so big that I think he can only see it as, well, I know I'm right because I'm the rich guy. Like, I wouldn't be here if I didn't know what I was doing. And I think Jim Crane is in a similar position where it's like, well, mm -hmm. if I didn't know what I was doing, how come I have two World Series rings? And the answer is because the people you hired did that work. Yeah. Your job was just to nod, say yes, and sign checks. And you somehow have come to believe that that gives you, that that makes you some kind of genius overall, that putting a signature on a piece of paper is a sign of some advanced like Sigma mindset or whatever it is. So it's like, I can completely understand how crane gets to him, gets to a position where it's like, I'll just do whatever I want. And that may or may not be hiring Jeff Luno back out of uh, infamy because in his mind, it's like, well, I know what I'm doing. I'm the owner and there's no one, the buck stops here. So it's like, there's no one to tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. What is the percentage that one out the next GM? Mm, like 15%. That's insanely high based on the circumstances. I, it is, but I, I would you be would you be if if the Astros came out tomorrow and said our new general manager is Jeff Luno? Welcome back, Jeff. <laughs> You'd be stunned, but you would not be surprised, right? Yeah, I think like so. it wouldn't have come completely out. And of Astros left fans wouldn't be upset. Like no, that's the other part no, of it. A, is there's they would a be significant like significant yeah. chunk of them that are essentially election deniers. Um, <laughs> like they're like if. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a there's a good chance that if Houston had lost this World Series, there would have been a whole bunch of folks in orange and the tequila sunrise jerseys trying to storm MLB offices down in Chelsea here in New York City. Just like trying to to, to hang Rob Manford in effigy or something. I I should <laughs> But yeah, I don't think I don't think there's a I, I think a good number of Houston fans would be like, yeah, we're getting the band back together. Jeff Luno did nothing wrong. And it's like, no, he he did shit wrong. He really did stuff wrong. Like, it's really hard to get suspended for a year. Actually, Jeff Luno is good. I'm excited for that column. But like, again, would it surprise you if Jim Crane decided that he since he's the genius in charge, like the best thing to do is bring back the guy he liked? No. What if he just made himself GM? I could also see that. I mean, and like maybe, he just has a bunch of underlings. He just yeah, hires he, a bunch of assistants. His his thought process about Ted Turner with the Braves is that Ted Turner didn't go far enough. Like Ted Turner <laughs> was right the whole time. He just he should have been given more more leeway to do that. And it's like, and that's the funny thing. Like sports is littered mm. with examples of owners who get too big essentially for themselves and over and like overstep what the boundaries of their role should be and start to think, well, I'm actually the genius. I'm actually the guy in charge. And you can see what that looks like. I mean on a somewhat different scale, you can see what the results of that have been in Anaheim with yeah. the angels, with Artie Moreno, a very Jim Crane type owner who is meddlesome and, and made his money completely outside of baseball and seems to be just a kind of dislikable moron. But regardless, because of the fact that he signs the checks, he gets to be the one to say, well, I want it done this way. And the end result is a franchise that has wasted the primes of two of the greatest players. Either of us will ever see in our lifetimes. I'm not saying that's the direction Houston is going, obviously, because, you know, they're a little bit better at term in terms of the whole, uh, you know, team building thing. 
but it is really, I think, an up. I, I think if you're an Astros fan, you should be worried that this is how things have kicked off. I think keeping Dusty obviously great, but I think Dusty is also someone where offered a one year deal is like, yeah, sure. Like I'm a million years old. Like I, you know, I don't need long term job security. Like this may be my last year anyway. Who knows? No, he's it's full gold. He knows this is it. Like Dusty is done, and he got the ring. Like he is just like whatever. Yeah, I, 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 don't I care. think Dusty is. I think Dusty is happy if you know if next year doesn't work out and he gets let go. Okay, that's it. Dusty's yeah. career is over. He he you know he gets his World Series ring. He will be a Hall of Famer when this time comes. He'll be remembered as one of the. He's totally the fine passing the baton to Carlos lifetime. Beltran. Exactly. <laughs> It'd be really funny if it were built. Actually, the funniest thing possible would be not just bringing Luno back, but then hiring Alex Cora away from the Red Sox to be the manager and just going like full heel mode. Into what about Jim Crane game? and J.D. Burke or uh, Lance Berkman? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The Lance Berkman is a brigade in Houston. The, the latrine uh, Marines. Um, but yeah, I, I, if I were an Astros fan, I'd, I'd definitely be concerned that crane now seems to think that he is the brains of this operation yes. because everything we have seen from when jim crane makes the executive decisions is that things tend to get bad for the houston astros yeah. and i don't think this would be any different it's like the worst thing that happened that can happen to folks who to folks like crane is just they win so then they yeah. think they're Success the responsible but like it's just it, I don't know how it doesn't go to their head and just think of it's them. And that's why you're comfortable. Like you want to do the one-to-one one year at a time thing. Like here's our standard. Like I, we've proven that with my brilliance and the way we've built this organization that uh, we should be winning titles every year and we're going to do it my way. And this is how it works. And then um, the difference with Moreno and guys like that is just it, it, the losing just kind of berates you. And you're just like, I'm so sad. Like, yeah, you're just and- not, and just eventually, like, the more you lose, the more you lose the willingness of fans to be like, oh, yeah, sure. Well, like, ask, there will be buy-in from Astros fans because, well, we just won the World Series. Like, right. you know, maybe we can trust the guy who owns the team to know what he's doing. But again, you look at how many teams that are very owner-driven just are not particularly good at this, you know? Yeah. When do you ever hear about Dodgers ownership? When does Dodgers ownership ever make news? It's a good question. Well, I mean, Magic Johnson's in the news a pretty good amount, but oh, he's not, is, of, is he still part of that ownership group? I thought he had sold his shares. Did he sell his shares? I didn't even I, know. I may, I may be wrong. I, I, I may have missed like, I, well, I know one of the minority owners tried to get in on the Mets, right? And then there's, I don't I know. It's also getting extremely I mean, confusing now because every ownership group is like split into like all yeah, these that, different. That, that's pieces, fair. Like, I, I was going to say, really when know. do you ever hear about Braves ownership? And it's when the Braves don't spend on things. Yeah. But, and then you're like, who's in it? And you're like, all right, Liberty Media. And then here's this person. We're going to go to this person. It's kind of this one. And we don't really know. Yeah. It's, for just, the most it's part, harder like, to figure it out now. The owners like Crane and like Moreno and like guys like Bob Nutting and mm-hmm. um, I guess the no longer, but like the Will Ponds, like that kind of owner is, is I feel like increasingly no longer a part of the MLB landscape of those yeah. guys, those independent rich guys who are like, well, I know everything. So I get to run everything. And it's like, for the most part, it seems like these ownership groups that are now consortiums are more willing to be like, no, 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 no. This is an investment. This is a team is a part of an investment portfolio that includes the stadium and the fan base and all the other uh, assorted stuff that comes with it. We would like to run this as cost efficiently as possible. Uh, please do not ask us to spend an extravagant amount of money. But so long as you win without breaking our bank accounts in the process, you will never hear from us. We will never give you trouble. Do whatever you want. And I think I guess that's the, the case with the Dodgers and the Braves and teams like that, where it's like, yeah, you do hear about them pinching pennies to a certain extent, but you also don't have Liberty Media coming out and doing stuff like firing the GM because they think Craig Biggio is smarter or something, or I guess the Atlanta equivalent of Craig Biggio, Terry Pendleton. 
For sure. Um, John, Anthony yes. Rizzo signed a multi-year extension with the Yankees this Indeed afternoon. Good move? I think so. I mean, I think it was the only move for the Yankees. When you look at the first base market, it was really just Rizzo, Josh Bell, and Jose Abreu. And I think Rizzo, by dint of the fact that he's left-handed, the fact that he seems very much liked it in New York. I know he was uh, you know, very close with Aaron Judge while he was on the team, which I also imagine is part of this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much recognizes one of those very good clubhouse leader veteran type guys. I, I think it was a really obvious thing to be like, let's, there's no reason to rock the boat here. And like I said, as a left-handed hitter with a pull swing, uh, with a fly ball power approach, Yankee Stadium is literally the perfect place for Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a marriage that makes the utmost sense all the way around. I think New York had to do it. Otherwise, I don't really know what they would have done for first base this this year, but I don't know it would have been all that great. So, yeah, and I think it's a fair price, too. It's essentially a two-year uh, $40 million deal or a three-year $51 million deal when you add in the option for 2025, I guess it would be. So, yeah, good good deal all around. I think it's something the Yankees had to do. I think it's also something that they very much clearly wanted to get done early in the offseason check that box off. And then I think the next thing they're doing is just going to be full press on Aaron judge. Cause I also think that that's something that they want to get figured out sooner rather than later. Cause I think, and I know this is something we kind of talked about is like every day that goes without signing Aaron judge, I think increases the chances of Aaron judge leaving. I don't think he's back. Really? I like it. And I remember just reading the people who talked about this where once a player gets like this, a player at judge's age being unrestricted free agent, just being able to look at the landscape and go somewhere else when they just get to this point, they don't usually come back because some other offer is better than what the Yankees are going to throw. And I think it also, there has to be some level of animosity that they were not able to get this done last year and playing it out the way they did. um, I just, I don't think judges back. And whenever you have an opportunity to pick the field, 29 other teams or the one team here, you should go with the other team. That's why you lock these guys down before you get to this point, because it only takes one. It takes one I, Texas can, Rangers team. It takes one San Francisco Giants move. Which I can it. understand, but I, I think part of it for me is that ju- they already had made their offer to judge. He said no, and it's pretty clear that there were not going to be any other conversations until he reached free agency. Mm-hmm. But I also have to feel like if you're the Yankees, and, and I, I think we talked about this too, what else are you going to do with that money? Right. Like, I don't, this is, uh, unless they play yeah, him just saying no and then being like, all right, well, that's our offer. It's like, what are you doing? You're the Yankees. Like, but like I, I think, I think what makes sense to me with regards to the Yankees uh, putting all their focus on Aaron Judge is because if Judge doesn't sign, well, I guess they pivot to giving that money to Justin Verlander and Jacob deGrom maybe, or Justin Verlander and Wilson Contreras or whatever it happens to be, but they want to figure that out as soon as possible. And I think ultimately the best use of that money is just bringing Judge back. Because yeah. there's no there's no one in free agency who's going to provide even a, a third of the value no. judges at that position. There's no one coming up in their system who's ready yet to do that. There's no trade I don't think they're going to be able to swing to get a judge equivalent back in that lineup. It, I think that the Yankees are at a place where the only thing that really makes, or the, th- the move that makes the most sense is just to bring him back. And I think that for as embarrassing as it was to ha- ha- make him this offer and not only have him say no, but also then go out and basically make that offer look even stupider, I think that the Yankees are are willing enough to swallow their pride about it and be like, you know what? We screwed up. We should have offered you more money. Here is more money. And I think Judge, too, like for as much as I understand, yeah, see what the other teams have to offer. See what exists in free agency. You, you, He will only get to do this once at this point. But at the same time, like I think Judge likes New York. I think he fits well there. I think, you know, it's it's a it's a place he wants to be. And 
the other, I think the other part of it too is, you know, sure he could leave for Texas. I, I think we talked about this. He could leave for Texas and take more money, but Texas is not in the same position the Yankees are. Like you stay with the Yankees, you're guaranteed. We, we broke it down like this, didn't we? Where we said if it's Texas, that man wanted to get paid, and he's yeah. good. He's just he's in the back. He says, and we we respect it. If it's the Dodgers, the Giants, he wanted to go close to home, and if it's the Yankees, it's because that's where his heart is. Exactly, and I think. I think ultimately because I, the other thing, I don't really see anyone blowing the Yankees out of the water monetarily. If only, excuse me, if only because which team out there with the, with the exception maybe of Texas, who we're, again, we're all just kind of waiting very, we're waiting to see what they do. What team has that level of money to do that? I mean, the Giants and the Dodgers do. Theoretically. I, I don't know that the Dodgers do, man. I, I, I have to they imagine. They don't do stuff like this though, too, is what we should somewhere. point out. It would be weird for them to, to do this back to back years to do Freeman and then judge in succession. That is yeah, not how think, Andrew and, Freeman and operates. About, Freeman is a guy I think they were less. It was less about we're making a targeted play for him and more just really nobody wants Freddie <laughs> Freeman. OK, fine. Yeah. <laughs> you will take Freddie Freeman. Sure. Thank you, guys. Mm -hmm. You know, but, but yeah, you're right. Like big free agent splashes are not the Dodgers thing. And we similarly have not seen that from the Giants so far. Like they, I think not, it's the Giants. Uh, it's on record. November fifteenth. I think they're going to make a really giant. big push. I think it yeah. makes perfect sense. He's a hometown guy. He makes them immediately better. Like this, they're in a really tough division. I think they can feel confident based on his skills and skill set that he is someone who's going to age better than uh, than someone like say splashing that money on like Carlos Rodon. But at the same time, like I, I think ultimately he ends up staying in New York. I, I just think that. Can it I throw a curveball for you, though? It's a move that makes the most sense, ultimately. Sure. Curve curve me away. Curve away. The Padres. That would be what really if the Padres funny. were just like, screw this. We're going even more. We got to go deeper. What does that mean? When, like, we just got to go deeper. There was, a, there was an Onion article from a million years ago, one of their fake op-eds, which was just the CEO of Gillette writing one that said, fuck it, we're doing five blades. And that would pretty <laughs> much, that would be the Padres, is if you can build a lineup that has Manny Machado and... Juan Soto and Aaron Judge and Fernando Tatis Jr. Like, why not? I guess <laughs> exactly. But. Just keep going. You're like, what are the like? Uh, are you kidding? And it's like, I, that's why I love Preller of Preller just being like, are y'all really not going to trade for Juan Soto? Do guys like this don't come on the market ever. Okay, I guess we'll I mean, do let's, it. Let's let's see what happens at winter meetings, man. Like it, winter meetings is Preller's sign is and Preller's trade. Time to I shine. wish we could do a sign and trade Fernando Tatis for uh, Aaron Judge. That would that, that would be, be so a fun, fun. That would be a fun game. Is like which of the other leagues is uh, like contract slash financial rules would you bring into Major League Baseball to make it sign and trade for mine. I think I would do trading of draft picks just because mm. I, I kind of don't understand why that isn't. No, a thing we don't anyway. want that because like I we already well, have I mean, enough. Then, then we're of in this. the universe where the Rays are trading ninety eight draft picks every 100%. single season for eighty five other draft picks. <laughs> yeah, like, that's what, no, what it would drive people insane. Jerry Depoto with draft pick trades. Oh my god, we can't handle. But, we can't. Yeah, have it. a sign and trade stuff would be very funny. I think um, to watch that to watch that happen. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Mariners, a little bit, uh, Jesse Winker. Uh, does he make sense for the Mets, sir? Because it looks like he is on the move, and the Mets, I think, actually make a pretty good amount of sense. Also, the Braves make sense for Jesse Winker, sure. I would say. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Winker does didn't he move do, the needle at all? No, Winker didn't do anything in Seattle last year. Not only was he hurt most of the time, not only That's was, what I was he saying. predictably yeah. bad in a place that turns left-handed power into nothing, but there were also a lot of stories, and with a surprising level of um, what's the word? I guess admission. From in particular, Mariners beat writer uh, Ryan Serve or not Ryan Surveys, uh, Ryan um, Darvish. Oh my God, Darvish, thank you. I was yeah. combining Ryan Darvish and Scott Surveys in one person. 
uh, about how Winker just did not fit in clubhouse wise, mm-hmm. that he was not a guy that teammates liked, that he had an attitude that people didn't appreciate, that he, especially in comparison to a guy like Mitch Haniger, who is very much one of those like grit and grind, like hustle veterans, that Winker was essentially the polar opposite of that. And I don't know how much weight that carries around the league. You know, people can always say, oh, well, it's just that's the way it was with one particular team. It doesn't mean it has to be this way uh, elsewhere. But Winker's not a very good defender. He doesn't hit for very much power. He's great at getting on base, but he's also had some real injury issues. And on top of that, with the clubhouse stuff, I'm not surprised that Seattle wants to try to move him. I, I get the sense that his time there has just not gone particularly well, which is to say that the one year he was there. But I, I mean, sure, if you're the Mets or the Braves and you just want another outfielder, why not? But I, and part of it too is there's very little available in the outfield market this 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 offseason. Uh, MLB.com is Mike Petriello. Uh, made the point that unless you're in the market for a shortstop or pitching, you're not really going to find much of anything in this free agent market for whatever reason. It just it just happens to be this is how the market lined up. So if you're a team like the Mets or the Braves and you're looking for outfield help and you can't really find anything out there and the prices for better guys are too expensive, I think Winker is also someone that Seattle would probably be willing to to take a discount on. You know what I mean? To eat some of that money or maybe take a lesser prospect if you are willing to eat more of that money. But it will Winker make a difference overall to a team like Atlanta or the Mets? I, I don't really see. You know, I think he's a. I mean, you look at what he was in Cincinnati at his best, which was uh, the year before he got dealt, stapled along to Eugenio Suarez. And funny enough, Suarez was ten times better than, than Winker was, even though that trade was almost entirely about Winker. Um, but Winker in 2021 had a 143 OPS plus with the Reds and was worth. Uh, almost three wins above replacement. Again, defensively, he's just not very good. But that's basically the ceiling there, and that's pretty good. But that's also Winker in a stadium built for left-handed power, playing for playing out the string for a team that nobody cared about. And I know garbage time stats are not a thing like they are in, say, the NBA, where it's like you get guys who just put up big numbers and blowouts. Like, baseball doesn't really necessarily work that way. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I think... I, I just don't see Winker as being a true difference maker uh, unless what happened in Seattle is just a gross misrepresentation of what actually happened in Seattle. And that I, I'm willing to believe guys like Divish um, that they're they're not just making that stuff up out of thin air. He sounds like a future Yankee to me. Him and Josh Donaldson. That'd be very, that. very funny. But I, I could see Winker going to a team like Milwaukee instead. Mm. You know, that's willing that's willing to buy on what we would consider a distressed asset on the relative cheap. And, you know, seeing, oh, maybe we can rebuild his value here. So we shall see. Cubs release Jason Hayward, old friend, first uh, at bat when the Braves hits a home run. Is this it for Hayward? No, I think he'll find somewhere else to be next year at the very least. I mean, how how old is Hayward now? 34, 35? I mean, he got a very, very early start. So this is God, not, this that is makes not me feel so old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Jason I have a Hayward, vivid memory of his homer. And Jason no, Hayward but, won't be 34 until next August. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it crazy how we look at athletes? He's another prime example where it's like, this guy's just washed. Like, get him out of the lineup. He's got nothing left. He's yeah, so next, old and decrepit. And you're like, he's 33. He's 33. And next season, if he's in the majors, will be his 14th in the big leagues, which is really amazing. <sighs> Great um, career. I can see Hayward just ending up somewhere on the cheap as a fourth outfielder. I, I, I don't really think there's any chance of him being a starter anymore at this point. The bat just yeah. disappeared years ago. And, and aside from the weird 2020 season, just never really came back. So... But defensively, obviously, he can still do what he does. I think there's obviously, uh, a, you know, a lot of teams do appreciate the kind of veteran leadership that a guy like him pr- can provide. Every every obituary of his time in Chicago will always include the the speech in the 2016 World Series during Game 7 that 
rallied the team in extra innings and basically was, you know, made him worth the entire contract or if you can feel that way. I don't think this is it for Hayward. I can see him ending up somewhere just to kind of play out the string, but I do think this is an end to him being a regular full-time major leaguer. And I wouldn't be surprised if two or three years from now, he's just, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if by this time next year he's, he's gone, but um, at the very least, he's still got one more year of that contract paying him essentially. So wherever he goes, he'll just basically do it for, I would and, bring and that's the other thing. Any, any team, the that Hilliard spot, like replace uh, Hay- Hilliard with Hayward. You give Michael thing, Harris Hayward for a year to just learn under and put Hayward that, in the in the outfield locker room with like, Acuna too. Woo. Yeah, if you have a young outfield or an outfield that has mostly young guys, where you can just kind of use a veteran to plug some spots, Hayward has real value there. Mm-hmm. Um, for a team that's actually contending and needs a full time starting outfielder, no, Hayward will not be going there. But I can see him making sense for a team like who's got young outfielders and some and some playing time to spare i don't know miami maybe if if he'd want to go down Keep there and him out of the nl presence. east unless he's a brave john <laughs> uh, the nationals would would jason hayward in dc make i don't sense? think he would do that right but that's the thing it's also like does he want to go play out the string for a, a complete non-contender yeah. yeah he's got his ring so on the one hand you know he doesn't have to worry about that he's got his money so he doesn't have to worry about that either it's basically just what does jason hayward want for the rest of his career and he's not in a position where he can be like an NBA style ring chaser, you know, go from go to the next good contending team and just be like, oh, let me just hang on and play some limited minutes. It's like, nah, man, most most contenders would rather just find a young, very cheap guy to do that. Although, again, the fact that Hayward essentially will be free to whatever team takes him because the Cubs will still be paying him out for the last year of this contract. Mm-hmm. It might make it more appealing in that sense to a contender to be like, well, he costs literally zero dollars, essentially. And if we and if. You know, June one rolls around and he's still he's hitting like 180 with, you know, and, and he's basically only being used as a defensive replacement. You know, we can move on. It's I, I can actually see that I could see some contender maybe grabbing him for the first two months of the season while they kind of figure out what they have in the minors um, and then deciding, you know what? I think we're good. Like, we don't really need this anymore. And, and maybe moving on. Yeah, but hey, we'll see what happens. Um, last thing, we're going to start our off-season series where biggest question facing uh, each team uh, in mm-hmm. Major League Baseball. One big question. So the biggest off-season question starting off in the NL East, the Miami Marlins. What in your estimation is the biggest question for you for the Marlins this off-season, John? Where are they going to find offense? Um, or how are... And- I guess two part question, where are they going to find off offense and how are they going to get it? You know, is it going to be in free agency? Does it make sense for them to try to throw big money at someone? Probably not. I assume they're not going to do that. You know, and if not, does that mean that they're going to start to move starters? We've talked already a bunch about how Pablo Lopez makes a lot of sense as a guy they could deal. I still think that makes a lot of sense now. Um, but I think if you're if you're the Marlins, you have to figure out how to get more offense on that team and how to find more just score more runs, because that is that has been the number one problem in Miami the last like three seasons running at this point. That team cannot score runs. What do you think they ultimately do, though? How do you think it ultimately goes? I think they make a trade because, again, Miami is not a franchise that's going to spend big money in free agency. Um, mm-hmm. You can make an easy argument that a guy like Carlos Correa makes all the sense in the world for them. Um, the same way Correa makes sense for like 25 other teams. But at the same time, that's just not how the Marlins operate. And until I see a sign that they operate, that they you know, would go in that tack. I think the smarter bet is to say they're going to make they're going to make trades and they're going to play the middle to bottom tiers of the free agent market. And I think the most likely outcome is a trade of one of those starters that nets them a very close to the majors hitting prospect at a position of need. So somewhere on, say, the left side of the infield or in the outfield, perhaps, and and go from there. I am curious because I think they're going to be aggressive 
I think with Kim G, um, she's on the last year, right? Like this is it. There was like kind of a quote unquote directive that like I mean, this, we'll, this we'll is see. it. I mean, it, it's I definitely out. It's always the manager first, and then it's like, all right, you got to do something now. Jeter's gone. She's the last uh, position of power from that administration. I guess, left I guess it, just, it depends on what the current Bruce Sherman ownership group and whoever mm. is nominally in charge there feels. Because you could you can say like you know Mattingly the manager goes then the GM goes, but you can also look at it as Mattingly was more of a Jeter a Jeter hire than anything else because of the close mm. connections they had and because of you know everything else. Or maybe not close connections, but there's definitely the Yankees connection there and the and and everything else that, you know, maybe in reality that uh, it's Matt Krataro who ended up being the Marlins uh, new manager, correct? Or no, Skip Schumacher. No, sorry. it's Skip Schumacher. I was going to say, yeah, um, yeah, Kim Ang, it, she's it, right? Yeah. And but I think you could argue that Schumacher is is Ang's hire is very much her hmm. like, OK, this is my team now. This is the manager I want, like, and this is how I'm going to build the roster I want. I mean, we'll see. I, it's really hard to know exactly who is in charge of anything in Miami at this point. Um, but I, I do have a feeling that, you know, they need to spend this offseason focused on on getting better hitters for this team. And unless they do that, I don't really think there's any reason to expect Miami to be anything other than what they were again this year, which is to say a very good pitching team that does not score enough and ends up finishing fourth in division at like 78 and uh, 84 or whatever it is. And look, the NL East is not getting any easier. Like, no, if anything, thing. it's getting harder. The Braves and Mets are both going to be great. The Phillies yep. are the defending NL champions. The okay, well, the Nationals we can just safely no. But like, if you want to make the playoffs or you want to really compete in this division, it's just I mean, it's you're I up against it's, the eight ball because the Braves and the Mets aren't going anywhere. The Braves and Mets aren't going anywhere. I don't think the Phillies are going anywhere either. If you're the that's I guess that's the other part of you. If you're the Marlins, realistically, if you're making the playoffs. It's the way the Phillies did as the sixth seed. You're yeah. not really. You're gonna have to do it via the wild card, and I think you know that to me that means more than anything. Like the impetus should be there for the Marlins to get better because every marginal, every win is so much more important to them. Every marginal win is worth so much more because of the fact that they're not fighting for the division. They're gonna be fighting for one of those wild card spots, which are gonna be decided ultimately at the end of the day by win maybe two wins. Yeah. John Taylor, yes. uh, what can the good folks check out from you and the great team over there at Fangraphs.com this week? Well, we'll have, as usual, we'll be doing, as we do all offseason, reactions to every major move and signing and trade. So that means later this week, and by later this week, I mean quite literally tomorrow, or tomorrow, Wednesday. What what day does this come out again? Wednesday, Thursday? Wednesday morning, yeah. Weekday? 3 right, so, Wednesday morning, yeah. So on Wednesday, uh, we'll have a piece by Ben Clemens on Tyler Anderson joining the Angels. We'll have Jay Jaffe on Anthony Rizzo joining the Yankees. Speaking of Jay, he is currently breaking down the candidates on the Hall of Fame committee ballot, the one that was released last week for the modern baseball, today's game, whatever the crap they're calling it at this point. The 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 latest Bonds Clemens Schilling uh, Hall of Fame vote discussion. Uh, he's already run down Fred McGriff and Rafael Palmero. Obviously, he'll be revisiting Bonds Clemens Schilling. Uh, Albert Bell is going to be out tomorrow, I believe. So keep an eye on that if, you, if you're a big Hall of Fame person. See what Jay thinks their chances are of getting in via this ballot. And at the end of the week, Dan uh, Dan Borski will be up. Will be unveiling the 2022-23 offseason edition of Zips which is to say his roster projections, his standings projections. Uh, he does one for every team where he uses zips to project what the current roster at this state would produce if opening day were basically that day. A really, really good way to, to get a look at where your team uh, needs help, where your team is secure, what's coming in the future, 
Uh, I love the stuff Dan does with Zips. It's really, it's a really cool way to learn about, especially about guys lower in a farm system that you may not have known about that the projections think really highly of. So that will be coming. Uh, we'll get the intro and the standings later this week. The first teams will drop at the beginning of next week. So we are all in with the offseason stuff. Uh, and also a reminder too that throughout the offseason, we will be, you know, we'll be covering everything. We'll be, we'll be at winter meetings. Fangraphs will be there if you want to sneak into the hotel and come say hi to the Fangraphs folks in San Diego. Uh, we'll be covering all of it. We'll be writing up all of it. So come on down to Fangraphs. Are you going? I am. I will be in San Diego. We'll be able to do a Chase Thomas podcast, San Diego winter meetings edition. Be very exciting. I'll do it from the bar and you can just be able to hear the various news breakers around me slapping down some beers. It'll be great. I'll just, we have like one appearance from the bar. I want one appearance, John, from the bar. I'm going to, I'm going to drunkenly press gang John Heyman into coming on the podcast. I'm just going to like drag him over to my mic and be like, you got to say something, man. You got to say something. <laughs> like, it'll be really great because John Heyman does not know who I does not know who I am. And it'll he be great. It'll be like, what's the deal with Arby's? Is that a real thing? Is that a real bit? It, I think it's a real thing. I think he genuinely likes Arby's. I don't yeah. think it's a it's a bit in it's so much specific. as he recognizes it's a bit, but it's a bit born out of sincerity. You yeah. know what I mean? He plays it up. He's like, this is all real, but I found out that people thought this was weird. So this is now part of my identity. It's it's it's, it's this whole shtick. It's this whole yeah. thing. I love um, it. But yeah, come on down to Fangraphs, uh, sign up for a membership, download our app, check out all the cool stuff we've got, and keep visiting us all off season long. We'll be there for you, the reader. Fangraphs.com. There you go. I thought there was going to be a song there. We'll be. I didn't. I, I wasn't sure where that. I never know where that's going when I finish it. So that mm-hmm. I'm sure is is very obvious. There you go, John Taylor. Always a pleasure. Talk soon. Later, man. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode, and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker, or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.